Shadow Kick beats Flying Kick. Bicycle Kick beats Shadow Kick. But a Nut Punch wins the day. Hello and welcome to another episode of El Governor the Podcast. I'm Abdullah and today with me is... Mad Yanking. Uh, you might know him from well, various pieces of media, but you know he's mostly known for well, recently MK11 as Liu Kang, and going way back nine years ago, which is hard to believe, but it's true. You were Tunnel Rat and GI Joe Renegades. Tunnel Rat and GI Joe. I just did Love, Death, and Robots. I got another uh, animated feature coming out later on this year. I'm about to be in Toy Story 4. Yeah, got a couple a couple of things coming out. Uh, busy, so busy career, and it's and, and yeah. my, my my first question is: Does it does it really get hectic being like involved in various projects like that every day? Um, <laughs> it, it gets hectic more because of the projects that I've chosen for myself. I created Goblins Animated with uh, Terrell Hunt and Phil Lamar, uh, which uh, we got together the voice talents from the cast of Futurama. We got Jim Cummings, who's the uh, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Steve Bloom, Jen Hale. Uh, some of the most amazing voice talent in Los Angeles. And we put together an animation uh, piece that we're trying to take out to pitch. And uh, the learning curve on being on the production side of animation is aggressively steep. And so that's taken up a tremendous amount of uh, time and effort, especially since I decided to crowdfund it and take on the shipping myself. And then, um, you know, I've still been working on something called The World of Steam, which I created six years ago. And that's uh, a tremendous amount of CG and like that. So that's been that's been work, too. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I write, direct, and act. So uh, all in all, I try to keep myself pretty busy uh, speaking of goblins it's an adaptation of a webcomic i'm kind of wondering how did how did you go about doing the adaptation process um well it's based on terrell's uh terrell hunt's uh webcomic um and uh it's uh it's an amazing piece and i've um I've been reading it for going on 12 years now, um, and uh, Terrell's become a friend over the years, and I've always tried to get him to turn it into an animated piece. And he's been very resistant purely because sort of self-esteem issues. He hasn't thought really that his his work has been worthy of putting out into space, and I've uh, been convincing him for a long time. Um, and so when it finally came out, I thought it was just absolutely right for adaptation. And initially, we just did a, a front-end adaptation of the first book that he put out uh, that was pretty one-to-one. And then when we got into creating the animated trailer, which is more of a pitch piece, we've had to create something that's sort of out side of canon that allows people to really see the sort of overall aspects of what Goblins is really about, that it's this story told, you know, a traditional D&D story told from the monster's point of view rather than the adventures, and that it takes on, uh, on tropes of geekdom, and it takes on tropes of being a nerd, and it takes on tropes of all the things of, of what being in love with D&D really looks like. Um, but it's been, it's been super fun and super easy and they're, they're, uh, well, uh, super easy on our side. Just the, the production side again is just enormously rough, um, and has been, uh, a real steep learning curve. And what did you, uh, what did you take from the experience, like overall working on it? Well, I'm still working on it, so I don't know <laughs> if I, uh, I don't know if I've gotten the, 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 the sense of time necessary to really realize what I've taken from it. Right now, it's just sort of nose of the grindstone. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I work on, I've tried working on various projects over the years, and I, you know, I, I tend to try to, to, to take, 
what I can learn from them and try to adapt them to to myself and and, and wonder like uh, how how I can how I can learn from from the creative process and how to become a better person as as I go absolutely on, go on absolutely I... the difference is that the corollary between sort of the on camera work that I've done and even being on the voiceover side you know you're 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 such a minor cog in it when you're on the voiceover side uh, in terms of how deep animation is and how difficult it is to move along um, because animation really hasn't changed diametrically in the same way that film has. Uh, I mean, you, you can take the, the camera that they shot Star Wars on and pretty much you almost have it in your pocket, um, whereas animation still is a bunch of people in a room scribbling. Um, that that has changed slightly with advents of Maya and Flash and, and and all sorts of other ways of getting things out. But we're doing traditional 2D animation, and that means just at the end of the day, it's it's a lot of grunt work. Yeah, because I recently rewatched because you know, I watched various animated series, and it's kind of weird looking back at GI Joe Renegades now, considering mm-hmm. like it it it's one of those last shows that came out that used traditional animation before everything yep. switched to Flash and, Flash. To, and Toon yeah. Boom. So yeah, and and GI Joe, I mean, that was such a fun fun thing to do uh, in such a beautiful room to be in with Jason Marsden and Natalia Sigliotti and, and uh, KMR and myself um, really just spending every few days together uh, building this thing and then having you know Clancy Brown come in and and, and Charlie Adler and Phil and and uh, just these major, major voice talents just rolling through on a daily basis. And it was sort of like, this is what we do. Um, and, you know, it was my first time really being a series regular on animation and, and, and just learning how to, how to do it from the best in the biz. And, um, it was, it was such a shame that it went down because it was such a good show and it could have been nominated for Emmys and like that easily. Um, but, uh, really as with anything that in, involves Hasbro, it, it, it falls to the nature of whether or not it can sell toys. And, well, you know, let's be honest, looking back at, at the way they handled the toy line, they could have done it better, be quite honest. Uh, yeah, well, they, 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 they resisted the toy line. Yeah, because, I know. I mean, that, that's, that's why it went down, um, because they basically had a toy line off of a terrible movie, and then the animation came out, and there was a new executive that came on board at Hasbro and basically looked at it and went, why why are we trying to what look, look at these terrible sales that we're getting on on GI Joe why would we want to do new stuff for this animation if this other stuff is is failing and then when they realized the demand they had already canceled the show and we had better numbers than Transformers at that point in time Transformers Prime uh, which again great show as well but you know yeah. I mean but they both came out during like the hub's early days and I, I remember yeah. when I remember when when the hub first came out everyone was like oh my yeah. god this is a huge game changer and I just wish yeah. I just wish it was still around I really do yeah, yeah. they they really came out and they, you felt like it was going to be a thing with My Little Pony and Transformers and like that and uh, you know a certain certain of the properties have stayed and the people who have gone off to do other things um, have still done amazingly quality work Mike Vogel who is one of our executives there has gone off and done amazing quality work. Um, but, uh, it, it, it was a shame. Yeah. It was, it was pretty much a shame. Yeah. Because the problem with any Hasbro show is like you ask anybody who works on, on those shows what, what their least favorite thing is dealing with the Hasbro executives because they oversee yeah, well, everything. Yeah. And the hub, the hub was separate too. So the hub was the hub and Hasbro was Hasbro. 
Um, and they had, you know, they had sort of, uh, ne'er the twain will meet. Uh, Ted Biaselli, who was one of the executives on G.I. Joe, went on to, uh, Netflix, and now he's just, He's putting out the Umbrella Academy. He's putting out just incredible work, um, you know, time after time. And I kind of wish, you know, Hasbro would, you know, get their shows on streaming, but, you know, that's, that's nope. their choice. <laughs> that's their choice, yep. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of Hasbro properties, you were in Transformers, the not, mm-hmm. not, not, uh, Prime, Robots in Disguise, the sequel series, yep. playing the Simeon character. I don't remember. Simicor. Simicor, yeah. yeah. Uh, how was that experience for you? Uh, that was super fun. I always wanted to be a Transformer. My son's a huge Transformer fan. So, uh, you know, anytime you're getting to be a dad and do a thing that your, your little kids like, you know, it's, it's a good day. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're, so, and, and it's kind of a shame, like, all the cool characters from that series never got toys. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You get you get like a, a million bumblebees, but you'll never get Simicore. Right. No, 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 not unless there was a big write-in effort, pretty much. You'll never get Simicore. You'll never get Fred Tatashore's great character, the the Beale guy. Uh, <laughs> so. Fred does. Fred does incredible work. Fred just does incredible yeah, work. And, and anytime Fred does something, he's a you know he's gonna make a character that's memorable. And I just I just got really upset that his character does not have a toy because I'm like, oh, I, yeah. want, I want I, I want a physical representation of that. <laughs> I can tell because yeah, I, because I, you know, I used to collect Transformers a lot back in yeah. like tw- 2010. So there you go. Yeah. I just sold my Jetfire from from back in the 80s. I had a I had an original Jetfire Transformers in box and uh, pretty much complete. And I just sold it on eBay because I was my son was starting to play with it, and I was like, Do I really want my son to play with a thousand dollar toy? <laughs> and I know he's just going to tear the legs off, and then I'm going to get angry at him. And there's no real reason because he's going to play with a toy, and it's a toy, and it's in a box, and it looks cool. I played with it. That's what I like. So I was like, Yeah, sell it. I'll buy. You know, get a thousand dollars of toy money and buy him something else that he can't tearly legs up and and does it does it get um does it does, is it does it feel weird like going on various shows and playing all these different characters and 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 is, is there like some sort of like weirdness to it like you you one one day you're playing like a a secret agent and the next day you're playing a robotic uh, simian who's smart uh, smarter weird, than everyone weird no fun yeah i mean that's what i got into it for uh was to do that i mean i could have done anything and i was like you know i worked on wall street i didn't want to you know i i i had people offering me jobs uh, to be a broker's assistant and then to be a broker and and even though that was and that was in the 90s so i, I could have made my money that way um and uh i very quickly ran away from that and went no 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 i don't want to do this i don't want to chase money uh, God forbid. Uh, I want this, uh, I want this crazy career of, of making funny voices and, and playing different people and, and putting different skins on. And so, uh, yeah, no, I've had a ball. I, every time I get to be in a booth and, and be crazy, it's, it's, uh, it's super fun. It, it's, it's the most fun ever. And I mean, and you worked with a lot of amazing people in, in voiceover yeah. and, and live mm-hmm. action. So I'm kind of wondering, mm-hmm. yeah. do you, do you, do you, do you, do you take any, anything away from the people, you, from the various people you worked on as, as how to, you know, be better at the craft? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you have to, but I mean, there's also the level where you kind of reach and you realize that there's there's a whole new level of practice. Every time you think you've gotten good, then you meet somebody who's just like Dee Bradley Baker or or Billy West, and you kind of go, oh, there's a whole nother level. Um, and, you know, I mean, I remember Billy came in on one thing that we were working on together, 
And he goes, you ever thought of what a basketball game sounded like to a blind person? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he goes, you know, because you hear the shoes. And he starts doing the sound of the shoes. And then you have the ball. And he has the ball. And he goes, and then there's the crowd. And he does the crowd. And he goes, and then there's, like, a coach yelling. And he's the coach yelling. And, he does the, and then there's, like, six guys on the bench. And they sound like this. And then, you, and then you got the scoreboard. And the scoreboard sounds different depending on which side you're on it. And he starts doing that. And then he just layers them all on top of each other. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what a basketball game would sound like to a blind person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you spent time to figure that out. You, you, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because, like, the first time I ever met D, I was working on uh, The Clone Wars. And this is ages ago. And then, um, basically, my episodes got shelved because George sold um, his company to Disney. And Disney wasn't going to release anything that was going to end up on Cartoon Network. So um, my episodes actually, now that they're outside of it, end up uh, are supposedly going to be coming out next year of Clone Wars. And um, it was interesting because I got to work with D and I had never really known anything about him beforehand. He was just coming in that day to do some dinosaur sounds. And he came in, and, I don't know, like a previous episode or something, some weird alien creature sounds. And I was like, okay. And they list off what the creature looks like. And I was like, that's a weird-looking creature. And D goes, yeah, I think I can do that. And then he just stuffs his thumbs. I mean, D does these facial arrangements that are unreal. He stuffs his thumbs up into his resonators and just makes the most god-awful weird sound I've ever heard. And it doesn't sound like it comes out of a human face. And I went, oh, oh, there's there's another level. There's a there's a whole you can manipulate sounds in in a way that you've never never gotten it before. Um, yeah, I mean, you just realize with those guys like, like Jim Cummings, another one who's who just you know we had a moment in our uh, in our piece Goblins where we had a guy and he has to he has to be very facile and very um, easy and it's to run across this very difficult area and Jim did it and he improvised a little song as he was doing it um, and it was perfect and I went well of course the warrior monk would improvise a song as he was doing that and it made so much sense for the character and it was something that Jim had thought up on the spot so yeah I mean you, you just watch these guys and you go okay uh, how can I do at least a nuance of something like that or, or see how I could put it through my own filter in a way that it could come out into the world that it would uh, look more like me than like them, but uh, still retain the genius of what you're seeing. And that's a that's the thing I think people take for granted when it comes to the world of voiceover. It's like you know, everybody can do it. No, not anybody can do it. Mm. Come on. No. Uh, well, you're trying to convey everything that you're conveying with acting, except you're only doing it with, through voice, because that's the only part of the soul um, is conveyed by. I mean, the image that you're seeing in terms of the animation or anything else. Um, really, I mean, that's there, yeah, but if you effectively think about it, most of it's in the Uncanny Valley. Most of the way, the way that any anime looks or anything else is really, they're weird looking. They're, uh, humans are weird looking when they're in animation, even though we're making them look more like babies or like anything else. And really what gives them the soul, what grounds them in reality is the voice acting. Um, so the people who do it extremely well, like Fred, like, like Billy, like Phil Lamar, um, they're there to be lauded in a way that's quite remarkable. I mean, that's why I kind of, you know, prefer voice acting over live action stuff because I think it's it's much more it's much more interesting to judge a person's performance based on their voice than it is on the on you know on camera stuff. Mm -hmm. well, on camera stuff, you're, you're you're rendering it through the physical, and yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's a that's a different entity. Yeah, you're, you're, a different you're, entity. Yeah. And uh, in addition to on camera and voiceover, you also write and direct. Can you tell me a little bit about mm -hmm. more about that? 
Uh, I started writing about 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, I lucked into a writing relationship. I was doing a sort of Cirque du Soleil offshoot. Um, and one of the girls in the show with me said, do you know so-and-so from NYU? And I went, no, I, cause you never do. And, and cause it's a school of 150,000 people. And I realized that I did know who she was talking about. I went, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm going over to meet her. She's getting married. I went, oh. So I went over and said hi, and I met her husband, and her husband and I got on like a house on fire. And about 20 minutes later, he was saying, hey, can Matt come to the wedding? Um, and so I went to their wedding five days later, and we started up a writing relationship. And he was a screenwriter, screenwriting teacher at USC, and he sort of took me to school. And I learned from him as best I could and figured out what I wanted to learn and then uh, tried to take that out into the world with uh, the world of STEAM, which was my first real major outing myself. And it became the highest funded pilot ever on Kickstarter. And so, uh, um, uh, however, I was vastly overambitious and did 485 CG shots, which is basically the third of an Avengers, um, with, you know, like one sixty fourth of the budget. So it, it was, uh, it was aggressively small and, uh, and I've been working on it for six years ever since. So hopefully someday it'll, it'll all come out into space. But in the meantime, the Jim Henson company picked it up as a TV show and they've been nursing it along and then they dropped it and picked it back up and dropped it and picked it back up. Um, and, uh, it's in its 17th iteration. Uh, otherwise I've been working on stuff with Gina Torres and a bunch of other, uh, things to get stuff out in the world. And then my horror film that I wrote 11 years ago just got bought. So, uh, fingers crossed to see that out in the world too. And you also wrote for Star vs. the Forces of Evil, the final season. So how is that yeah. like? <laughs> uh, it's fun. It was fun stuff. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it does it, does it get, uh, you know, is it, is it jarring like working on so many, you know, scripts and, 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 uh, you know, rewrites and all that and, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't speak to it that much because it wasn't really me doing all the rewrites. Um, but, uh, yeah, my ideas are there. Yeah, because that's, that's kind of the big debate when it comes to, 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 to scripts nowadays. It's like how much of those words are actually your words and how much are. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when it's a collaboration and you're working for a showrunner or anything else, you're, um, you're really beholden to their view and you're trying to put things through somebody else's lens or through the lens of the show and that's your job. And you may be assigned a character, you may be assigned something like that, but really you're trying to put it through somebody else's lens. So anyway, we killed enough time. Let's talk about the elephant in the room or the, the game everybody knows you for now. <laughs> Uh, Mortal Kombat. How did that come along? Uh, Mortal Kombat I've been doing for two years now, plus. Um, and uh, they had hired me for Injustice 2 as the Adam, and they loved the work that I did there, and basically uh, Dominic asked me to come on board uh, Mortal Kombat. And originally they had me for Scorpion, and then they moved me to Kung Lao, um, now played by my very good buddy Sunil Malhotra. And then they moved me, uh, after a bunch of auditions, to Liu Kang. And uh, they've really not looked back, and they really have been very complimentary about the work that I've done and, and have appreciated it. And I, I, you know, I was, a, I, would, I was an MK player back in the day, so the fact that I get to honor my inner 12-year-old and... Um, and play one of my favorite characters on a game that I played to death. You know, I played MK and I played Street Fighter. And so, you know, the only, only thing that would be slightly better would be able to voice Ryu. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's been a ball. It's been a really, 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 really fun time. And Sunil and I are actually going to put together a show. I think we're going to try and launch it next week um, called uh, Matt and Sunil Play. And that'll be us uh, talking about games, talking about other stuff while playing um, one of the video games on Twitch. So we'll probably end up playing Mortal Kombat 11 on Twitch against various different players and all, all the time streaming what we think about games and, and, and the rest of it. And that's another layer of, uh, mm. of work yeah. for you. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It should be fun. So, uh, and, and are, you, are you shocked at how, at how positive your portrayal of the character has, uh, has gotten from, from people? No, I mean, it, it's, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just thankful, you know, cause they could have, you know, Tom Choi did a, did a great job for years and, and, uh, but, but people generally, I, I generally don't read the comments. I try not to read the comments. I try to stay out of it, but every once in a while I'll pop out and I'll see somebody basically say, something nice and, and how they've they've enjoyed what he's done I, I just try to give him a little bit of a soul and and because the 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 places that i've seen Liu kang before were were especially the early years he was a trope rather than a person and i really just wanted to make him a person and and i think you're the only one who kind of brought i think what they did here was was they brought back the fact that he's meant to be bruce lee and, and your performance yeah. really you know oh yeah no no i i honored bruce straight up and down through the whole thing i mean i i basically tried to do to do a bruce lee impersonation without this the uh the 60s ad to it i mean that's what most people forget when they're when they listen to the voice of bruce lee is that bruce is also a child of the 60s and so his inflections aren't just hong kong and hong kong a combination of eaton english which is eaton's very precise and it sort of goes goes into a very specific part of the world and then hong kong is cantonese right and cantonese goes up and down and sounds like you are chopping vegetables right so you know they've Cantonese and you have eaten and you combine them and they become Hong Kong, which is a Hong Kong accent, right? So you end up with things like so, which is British, but it has a has a Chinese intonation on top of it. Um, uh, and you take those two accents, you end up with a Hong Kong, right? So it's very round tone, uh, accent. And then Bruce added this 1960s thing to it where he was always trying to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, um, Steve McQueen. So Bruce had this thing where he would extend everything that he was saying because he was trying to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? So he's trying to be all right, yeah, Jack. Um, and it was this very 1960s quality. And uh, so I, I did that, but I sort of took the 1960s quality out of it because Luke Kang is much more sort of Luke Skywalker. He's much more sort of hard on his sleeve um, guy. And uh, so I wanted to make him just more a little bit more open. And, and, and it's been received well and plus you know it it makes sense you know that that he would be like the the noble hero and and the naive guy who goes along with everything raiden does even though it's kind of dumb and, and he knows it's dumb but it's like yeah you know he knows yeah. better he won't screw me over he won't no. yeah fingers crossed even though he does and he <laughs> dies and he comes up but it's mortal Kombat. mortal Kombat's this big long soap opera that has so many loops and and Dom knows them so well. Uh, I mean, he would try to explain to me any situation of what was going on and what the backstory and the back history was to anything. And it would always sort of make my brain hiccup a few times just to sort of get, okay, wait. So, okay, so I was dead, then alive, then dead. And then I'm alive here. And now I'm, a, it would just be loops and loops and loops and loops and loops. 
Um, and to sort of then try and find an emotional tether to that that somebody can can attach themselves to, I, it, it's difficult. And plus, it was you know you also played the evil Liu Kang in the story mode, so that, that was kind of right. Fun. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's just super fun. That's just yeah, that's just trying to make them sound different, right? You got to keep the accent, you got to keep who the guy is, and then you got to turn everything on its head. Uh, that's 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 been fun since Spock first had a had a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to play a and and a zombie be uh bruce lee so there you go <laughs> oh yeah exactly exactly how could you how could you not want to have fun with that and do you have any favorite interactions or or uh quotes from Liu Kang from the game no my favorite things are all uh, are all johnny cage because i'm an actor and he makes fun <laughs> of actors and so i i love lou and i love all his stuff and, and and everything but but every time i get to watch johnny cage like when they cut and then he's and, and he's doing all of the Johnny Cage things because he, cause he, he tries to knock somebody's head off and it doesn't actually go off and, and they cut and they, that stuff makes me giggle, um, because it's just lampooning my life. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I, I love loose stuff, but I, but I have to say yeah, Johnny Cage's endings and lines and stuff like that. That's, that's where I really fall in love. And, and the voice actor there is just, just crushing it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of perfect for, for that role. And, and he, yeah. he's really good at playing like the older, wiser Johnny Cage and the cocky younger Johnny Cage. Yeah. Yeah. And and does it, it, is it was it was it kind of you know does it does it get kind of overwhelming being part of like something major as Mortal Kombat or is it like just another day in the office for you? It's it's pretty much just another day in the office because um, you know I'm not I haven't taken it out to fans as uh, as much this year supposedly or this upcoming year I'm going to be like starting to tromp out to cons and and uh, and and sort of press flush and say hi um, but I've generally kept my nose down because I've just been working on all my projects um while other people keep on going you should come out and say hi to people i'm like yeah yeah i probably should and oh okay i will but uh you know after after this game specifically after love death and robots which got such a huge response for my work there and uh and and, and then immediately followed by mk11 um i was i was really grateful for for all of the positive press Speaking of love, death, death, love, death, and robots. Tell me about that. Uh, that's an amazing piece. That's probably the favorite thing I've ever done. Um, and getting to work with Fincher, getting to work with Tim Miller, um, getting to work with Alberto Mielgo, uh, who did The Witness. Um, they, they just were getting work with Oliver. I mean, they just do incredible work. Um, yeah, that's the first thing I've ever done where just top to bottom, every shot, every moment, every, uh, take of mine that they chose, um, uh, I was just uh, in- intensely satisfied. Doesn't just, just just felt very lucky to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's revolutionary. And I always loved liquid television and heavy metal and things like that back in the day. So to have a modern day ode to that, along with sort of this anthological ode to the Twilight Zone, uh, I mean, what's not to love? I especially love the fact that you know I- I'm shocked that no one kind of did this before, where they're just like, we have the streaming medium. Let's just give people people creative freedom and see what 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 they come up with yeah yeah really i mean absolutely and blur studios does amazing stuff anyway um but yeah it was it was super cool i mean i could tell what it was going to be back when we were acting to the storyboards and trying to trying to keep up with the storyboards um but yeah you know you look at alberto Mialgo's style uh in the witness and how you know he was one of the guys who worked on uh into the spider-verse he was one of the directors into the spider-verse so you could see um where there's direct corollaries between those two films um and how he's doing a you know not safe for work version in the witness 
Um, that's really beautiful. But his direction was great, and and Oliver's direction was amazing. Um, just just it was just so much fun. I I love being a part of those so much. And what I love about The Witness is that it's it's I think one of the few pieces of sci-fi where they took all the neon colored tropes and turned it into something out of a nightmare, and I really love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it's all hand drawn. Uh, Hong Kong. So he went to Hong Kong to get his inspiration. So he's literally just drawing one-to-one images and streets and stuff like that that he found in Hong Kong. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, he just did such great work with that thing. And the fact that every frame of that is empty. And it's this massive city, and you're hearing other people, but you never see anybody else uh, unless they're directly interacting with the storyline. So it just really does feel nightmarish. And plus, like you know, the de- you know, as as it as it uh, goes along, it, it you know becomes more degenerate and 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 dirty and yeah. just sinister. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was beautiful. And 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 will we get another season of it? Because I hope so. Uh, no, uh, Love, Death, and Robots got got uh, a pickup for a second season. I don't know whether or not they'll hire me. I don't know whether or not they'll uh, hire Alberto or Oliver. I know uh, I know very little. I'm hoping to be involved, but uh, that's that's as far as as I know as I'm hoping. Well, we can all hope. Exactly. And uh, do you do you um, uh, tell me more about your uh, world, the world of steam, and where did your love of steampunk start? Uh, it started very early. I mean, uh, the thing where I decided to start writing the show was 2009, um, when I went to Comic Con and I saw all these people in steampunk, and I realized that everybody was just sort of attaching it as this meme on top of existing geek, geek tropes. And I said, you know, this is this is ridiculous. How do you have all of this IP over here with an entire century's worth of really interesting writing? And we're going to redux the same four stories over and over and over again. It was Jekyll and Hyde, Frankenstein, Dracula, Time Machine. Jekyll and Hyde, Frankenstein, Dracula, Time Machine. And, and that's it. That's all we're going to do over and over and over again. And that's going to be... And we're going to throw in Sherlock Holmes every every other week. And that's going to be the whole of the 19th century. That's going to cover the whole of the 19th century. And there's so many stories to be told in that environment that I decided to create something. And I and, and, and that whole time period with Jules Verne and H.G. Wells is so rife with beautiful science fiction ideas. And they were the first ones really doing it that I never understand why you just take that entire period, time period and turn it into a series. And so I did. Um, and then we had all sorts of crazy budget issues and and this person telling me not to shoot and this person holding me back and and eventually I got something in the can but now it's just been trying to find people to help me finish the thing and I have 48 shots to finish the thing and get at least the first 14 minutes out into the world and and hopefully that will happen this year and I'll be taking it out to um, shorts festivals next year and that and, and it's interesting you bring up all you know wells and and whatnot I think that's 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 one of the reasons why I kind of you know got turned off by steampunk on the internet because it was just oh we're just gonna it's, we're we're just gonna take this existing property and what if it was steampunk guys right yeah it's reductive it's it's reductive rather than uh, rather than and, um, creationist, and, and you, you wanted something that that drives from from creating something completely new. And so, you know, one one of my things was really going in and like I've been looking, working with these uh, Russian artists, Scanning Voigt, and, and with a, an American artist named Chad Weatherford, and their work is just so inspiring um, and creates such amazing, amazing uh, things. 
Yeah, I mean, and 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 I just and I just love the fact that someone out there is doing something with steampunk that isn't just you know let's just do Sherlock Holmes. But what if? Oh no, I'm I, I'm I'm telling way different stories. Yeah. I mean, the one that I have currently is is about these two girls who really have very modern sensibilities, but they're you know they're they're they had the unfortunate accident of being born in 1857, and uh, so they got to push against that. And so I'm using actual real women from that time period who had to deal with some difficult stuff. And, you know, there's this one, you know, I have a girl who's very much a Sherlock Holmesian type of character because there was a woman who actually was a very Sherlock Holmesian type of character. She created these things called nutshell studies where she actually recreated all of these different crime scenes as Victorian dollhouses. And she would try and solve mysteries through her dollhouses, through, through figuring out where the blood was and how it went on. And, and it actually became a tool for the FBI. So it, it, it's amazing. You know, these these women were amazing in, in um, the way that they were fighting for fighting to be heard, really. And um, and uh, that that's uh, that's a theme that that rings very true to me. And so uh, I wanted to to represent that on screen. Speaking of being heard, um, you know, recently I've noticed like, a, you know, in terms of like voiceover stuff, they're getting a, at least a little bit more wiser to the fact that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have, you know, white people come in and do like a really <laughs> bad Asian accent for Asian characters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 changing. I mean, the whole environment is changing. Last last two, three years have, have really have really challenged and changed the environment. I mean, used to be I could say to people, I could say, look, name me how many Asian men you've seen kiss a woman in your entire life. And people would have a hard time ever getting off of one hand. Um, and now, you know, between Charles Melton and a bunch of the other guys who are really, really changing the game, it's it's good. It, 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 it's a little sad for me because, because I'm older and I don't get to be um, a young man in this world. I don't get to be a 20 year old guy trying to figure out this world, but you know, I, I laid down the road so that some of these guys can, can walk it. And other guys like Sab Shimono and <clears throat> James Shigeta and James Hong laid down the road for me. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, Sashi Hayakawa laid down the road for them. It just, it, it, it it's, uh, we're, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants and, and, uh, and hopefully we're now putting out media into the world that becomes and feels representative. Um, and rather than, uh, rather than just sort of doing caricatures of what we think other human beings are. That's what I love about like Mortal Kombat 11 is like it, it really like when they recast some of the roles, they really recast them to make them sound, you know. They did. Yeah. But I mean, like, uh, you know, Kung Lao is played by Sunil Mahotra, who's, who's, uh, you know, he's Indian and he's, he's, he's an American kid, you know, he's an American kid from Chicago, but I mean, he does have an Indian sensibility and, he, you know, he, he was on, uh, he was on Legend of Korra and he has this really wonderful snarky attitude and it fit and it fit Kung Lao perfectly. Um, you know, he's just, uh, Sue is just a, a treasure to be around. Um, so even though he's not specifically Chinese, uh, he's bringing something of an Asian sensibility to that, to that character. So for me, it's not necessarily, I, I think the goal is to get to a point where, where, I mean, I don't know. I always want to get to the goal of, of uh, the Star Trek episode where Lincoln was on the bridge and nobody really understood what he was talking about when Lincoln mentioned race, you know, but uh, where, where people are just confused by the idea. 
Um, but that that's probably pie in the sky. And it does actually hurt as well because I did, you know, research on your Clone Wars character and, you know, he was kind of, he was, you know, had the show continued, he would have been like the first Asian lead character in a Star in a, in a piece of Star Wars media. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm, uh, I'm hoping. Uh, I mean, if it comes out next year, that'll still be the case. And, uh, and fingers crossed that'll, that'll be something that they, that they hold to and that, that, uh, that turns out looking cool. Cause uh, those, those eight episodes that I did, were, were some of the most fun things that I've ever done. And I'm, I'm seeing four marked right now. So fingers crossed that they come out with more. And uh, what does the future hold for you? Uh, I got another show coming out on Netflix. I have a bunch of video games. I just did some um, new stuff for, for Mortal Kombat. So I can't talk about it, but you'll see what it is. I've done a couple of new video games that are amazing, and uh, they are uh, they are also hush hush. I'm under every NDA in the entire world, uh, but it's all cool. I guarantee you, it's all really really cool. Uh, and then it's just me in a room finishing up Goblins Animated uh, with Phil and with Terrell and with Danielle uh, Stevens. And, uh, and then me alone in a room, really, just trying to get World of Steam done. It's m- must be insane <laughs> working on all that <laughs> stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that's just, that's just, you gotta be organized. I mean, I have three kids on top of that, and, and, and they still like me, so, <laughs> you know, hopefully, hopefully I'm doing my job. Not to mention, like, you know, you got Riverdale coming up as well, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I should be back for season four. It'll be interesting to see, uh, what happens after Luke, uh, after Luke's passing and how they handle that. So, uh, anything else uh, you want to plug before we wrap it up? No, I think that's it. So, thanks thanks very much for coming on the show. For, for Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and and as, as always, you know, if you want to come back anytime, more than happy to have you. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye.